Good morning. I was worried that Grant is going to come up and speak more. Um, it's good to see you guys. It's wonderful to be together this morning. Um, some mornings I just feel like almost it would be wonderful if there was almost like more engagement from the church. Tari is a newer member of our community who I'm singling out right now, which is really embarrassing for her and everyone else involved. And she came to me and said, why, why is no one like kind of amening or raising hands or doing anything? So you might have seen her raise a hand from time to time over here when she's enjoying what's going on. But if you guys want to encourage me as I preach today, that would be absolutely wonderful. This is a church that is fun-loving, enjoys a good time together. Um, don't throw me off, but I appreciate all the things that are going on here today. This is the church we are building. Come on, Harbor City. Um, so after last week, having our friends from LA with us, which was really, really wonderful, uh, we're carrying on in the book of Ephesians today. And we've reached another new part in the letter. So if you've been tracking with us the whole way through this book, or if you've been reading on your own and studying this book for yourself, you might have noticed these different chunks that are going on in the book of Ephesians. Chunk one, Paul starts to speak about the gospel. And then he speaks about what it means for us to be in Christ the reality of this new identity that we have inside of him. And then he moves on to what it looks like for us to live out this new identity, what we should do, how we should live as those who are in Christ. And now we're into this next chunk, this fourth chunk, which is about our relationships. And really what he's done is he's laid all these foundations of the gospel and our new identity. So this is a gospel-centered relationship reality. And in uh, Ephesians 5 verse 18, he's just said to us, you must be filled with the Spirit. So this is a Spirit-filled relational identity. We're going to get into that in a little bit longer. But what we've seen in the book so far is Paul has already spoken to us about one new relationship. He's spoken to us about our new relationship with God in Christ. How before we were enemies of God, but now we are sons and daughters of God in Christ, which is just insane, a beautiful redefined relationship. And then in chapter two, he went on to speak more about relationships, but to speak about our relationships with men and women, with black and white, rich and poor, old and young, every kind of difference between us that you can imagine, and how in Christ we are reconciled into one new family in Jesus, which is also incredible. And now in chapter 5 and through the rest of chapter 6, we're going to see how the gospel redefines marriage, how it redefines family and parenting, how it redefines our relationships at work, and how it redefines our relationships with everyone else in the world. So Paul is going to be doing some serious work over the next while. And I just want to say I get the privilege of speaking about marriage today, which is a really, really cool thing. Marriage is just the most beautiful, beautiful union. I've been married to Shell for about six years, and I have the privilege... Six years. Oh, that threw me off there. Sorry, Tracy. I didn't want to draw attention to you on the phone. I've been married to Shell for about six years now, and I've had the privilege over the last two months to see four different couples get married, to do four different weddings. And it's always just such a beautiful moment. Keegan, I'm not going to draw attention to you, even though your face looks like you think I am. But yesterday, I was at this beautiful wedding between Kyle Johnston, that some of you know, and Kate Bredenkamp. And it was amazing arriving there. Before they said these beautiful vows, before they said their I do's, before she walked down the aisle, before the speeches or anything else, and just seeing Kyle, this nervous, anxious mess, just trying to do different things, I think, to distract himself before she arrived. And then she started to walk down the aisle towards him. And I just saw his eyes change as the tears were there in his eyes and the emotion welled up. And he just started to melt as his bride walked to him at the front of this beautiful venue in Maritzburg. Marriage is an incredibly beautiful thing. But it's not just a beautiful thing. Maybe a little disclaimer from Paul. 
He says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 to 34, I want you to be free from anxieties. Other translations also say from concern or from worry. And he says the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. That's all he's got to worry about him is him and Jesus, how that relationship's going, how he's following God, that's it. But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. All of a sudden, there's another person thrown into the mix. There's other demands, other expectations. Life gets a little bit more messy, and there's more anxiety, worry, and concern. He goes on, and he speaks to the wives, and he says, And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy and body and spirit. All she has to care about is her and Jesus. That's all she's got to focus on. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband, This man all of a sudden comes into the mix in her relationship with Jesus. And it's not just what Jesus wants from her. It's what he wants too and the complexity of living out life. What Paul is saying is, yes, marriage is a beautiful thing, but marriage is also hard work. Paul sounds like a real romantic, doesn't he? But what he's highlighting is, is when you get married, there are unique challenges and there are unique distractions and troubles and anxieties and worries that enter into your life that a single person doesn't know or doesn't experience. So he says, yes, marriage is a very beautiful thing, but it's also got its own stuff. And here in Harbor City, we don't want to idolize marriage and we don't want to demonize marriage. We don't want to say marriage is everything or marriage is nothing. And we just want to see that marriage is a gift from God and singleness is a gift from God given to us to be enjoyed. And I want to put that out there because I know probably the majority of our church is single. So this morning, as I speak about gospel-centered, spirit-filled marriages, which we'll talk about in a sec, I realize for many of you, this is almost preparation. One day when I'm married, if I get a partner one day, for some of you, you're single and you're happy. You don't ever want to get married or get married again. And for some of you, you are married. And I'm hoping as I speak today that some of what I say will challenge or encourage or provoke or excite you. But what we see here in Ephesians chapter 5 is gospel-centered spirit-filled marriages. And I know that sounds like such a churchy tongue twister. You're like, Grant, just talk about marriage, man. But the reason I want to use that phrase is because that is what Paul is doing. He's laid a foundation of the work of the gospel and the work of the spirit. And from there, he talks about how our marriages should be shaped. And the reality is every one of us coming into the service this morning have got some basis from which we understand marriage. You know, Probably for many of us, it's from our parents. And whether their marriages were good or bad, that is what has shaped our lens of marriage. I was chatting to someone at the wedding yesterday, and them and their wife, they said to me, what we've learned from our parents' marriages is only what not to do. I thought, that's terrible. But that is some of you in this room too. You can say, well, that's, that's also me. I know what not to do from what I've experienced. Some of us, our basis for marriage is romantic comedies, which are definitely not realistic, or movies or media. Some of us, it's maybe what we've studied, philosophy, sociology, anthropology, culture, something like that has shaped our view of marriage. And today what we're going to do is we're going to come to the scriptures to hopefully unravel some of those things that are unhelpful and understand what a gospel-centered, spirit-empowered marriage can look like. So let's get into it. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Ephesians 5 verse 21. Otherwise, it will come up on the screen behind me and we're going to read together. Paul writes this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, for some of you, you haven't taken that in. Others of you, maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable or unhappy. Please just stay with me. We'll get into what's going on there in a sec. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, Ephesians 5 isn't an exhaustive manifesto on marriage. It doesn't say everything that the Bible has to say about married life. So for some of you, I really want to encourage you, go to the scriptures and study what the Bible has to say about marriage. But this passage is key, and it says some huge things about the role of husband and wife in marriage and the way we are to love each other in the marriages that we have. And now, one of the things we believe is the church and that the Bible says of itself is that the Bible is God-breathed, and it's useful for so many different things. And really, the Bible for us as a church is our final authority on everything. We want to submit to its teachings and word. And I really want to encourage you guys to be Bible people. We want to be a Bible church that read the Bible and know the Bible for ourselves and get this into our heart and mind and into how we live our lives. But what does happen is sometimes we come across a scripture like what we've come across today, and something it says, or the passage as a whole, is a bit controversial. And maybe it challenges us a little bit and we feel a little bit uncomfortable with what's going on. Kind of like here today, there's a hot button word in that passage and a hot button idea that probably quite a few of us are a bit uncomfortable with and maybe don't enjoy too much. It's the word submit. And as I've kind of read through this passage, some of you immediately heard that word and you thought, this is regressive, this is insane, this is oppressive, this is terrible. How can people in 2018 believe something like that? Okay. For Paul's audience reading this text, they would have read that and thought, this is amazing. We are 100% on board. They would have read the second thing that Paul said to husbands, and they would have thought, this is progressive and insane and crazy. Paul, how can you say that to husbands? And I want to say that because any passage we read out of the Bible isn't written into a cultural vacuum. It's written to a specific audience in a specific time. And the author has a specific intention for them to hear and know. And that's one of the things we need to do as we read the Bible and interpret Scripture for ourselves, is we need to say, what did the author originally intend for the audience he was writing to at that time? And now what does that mean for us here and now today in Durban, South Africa, 2018? And we get to discover that. We can't just wear our modern lenses and read the Bible and say, okay, cool, that's what it means. We need to put a little bit of study in and a little bit of work in. And as Paul was writing to this Roman Empire society, to this very patriarchal society that he was part of at the time, as he said these things, really men were far greater than women. Men were viewed as far superior and women had no rights. And as soon as a man and woman got married, really the woman became the man's property. It's a very different world to the world that we live in today. So as he writes this to them, they would have said, that's absolutely fine. 
But as he started to challenge the role of husbands in marriage and how they were to respond to their wives, they would have been challenged. They would have said, this is controversial. They would have said, this is crazy. So as much as this is maybe a controversial, challenging passage to us in 2018 in Durban, this was a very challenging and controversial passage for them thousands of years ago. So let's start with what Paul's saying to wives. What does a gospel-centered, spirit-filled wife look like? And we read from Ephesians 5, to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what does the word submit mean? It means to arrange under. So kind of what you would think of is almost this military picture. There would be different soldiers in an army, and they would submit themselves to those of higher rank in the army. That's what Paul is speaking about here. Now, before we carry on with that, and almost what Paul is saying, I'd just love us to zoom out for a second to get the bigger context of what is going on here. Ephesians 5 is not speaking about a relationship in a marriage that is akin to slavery. He's not just saying, as soon as you get married wives, all of a sudden you are your husband's slave, and you must do whatever he says and whatever he wants all of the time, always, full stop. That is not what Paul is saying here, and that's really important to say. The picture in Ephesians 5 of marriage is not of a lazy, oppressive, abusive, dictatorial husband lying on the couch and shouting to his wife, Babe, where's my beer? That's not what's going on in Ephesians chapter 5 at all. This passage is not saying if you're a wife, you must submit to all husbands everywhere. And it's not saying to women, women submit to men. It doesn't say that, and the Bible doesn't say that anywhere at all. And if we go back one verse in this passage, that's why I wanted to read it today, I think we'll almost be surprised what Paul says just before this. He speaks to the whole church, like us, Harbor City, gathered here today. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is speaking to everyone in the church. And he's saying, men submit to women, women submit to men. Older men submit to younger men. Older women submit to younger women. Saying just whoever you are, wherever you fit into this picture, let's be submitted to one another in the church. And he says this because the church is a family. The church is not made up of independent people all doing their own thing. No, we are the family of God together, submitted first to God for his glory, and then submitted to one another as brothers and sisters in the church. We're not just doing our own thing. We are serving Christ together. So he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We just finished up uh, three weeks of starting points, our new members course quite recently, and we'll be introducing some new members to you in the next couple of weeks. And one of the things we talked through on the last week of that course is just kind of the response of members to leaders. And we encourage the guys who are looking at joining Harbor City, and we say, if you're going to become a member of this church, you've got to be able to trust and follow the leaders. Otherwise, go somewhere else. You know? You've got to find a place where you can trust the leaders that are leading the community and that you can follow them. And we say that because in Hebrews 13, 17, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So the challenge of that passage is to the leaders. Leaders, you better lovingly lead the church well, because one day you're going to stand before God, and you're going to say, this is why we taught that, this is why we did that, that's why we led in this way, that's why we counseled in this situation, and we're going to literally give an account for every decision that we've made quite a big responsibility. Don't want to chase you off from becoming a leader in the church, but it's a reality and a weight that we carry. But at the same time, the author is saying to the members of the church, follow the teaching and the leadership of the leaders. 
make their joy their job a joy not a burden and in a sense here he says submit and obey church members to the leaders of the community that you are in so so far what we've seen this morning is wives submit to husbands everyone in the church submit to one another church members submit to church leaders and at the end of ephesians 5 and ephesians 6 what we're going to see is children submit to parents and employees submit to your bosses he's doing this kind of overall look at the way we submit in all of society and what's kind of amazed me here is that paul says all of this is the work of the spirit in our hearts and i think probably all of us in this room have got some friends or maybe you are this person who are obsessed with the supernatural People just love the power of God and what God does. And I just want to say, Harbor City, we eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for people who are sick that God would heal them and expect that He would and trust Him that He would. We want to believe God for big things. Believe Him for miracles. Pray for miracles that He would change situations. We want to ask God to speak to us prophetically, that we would hear His Word and know His will and be able to respond to Him and live by the Spirit. We eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. But what Paul is saying here is that one of the supernatural, powerful works of the Spirit is changing our hearts in the way that we relate with one another in the church, in our marriages, in our homes, at work, in the world. That is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of each of us. And lastly, we see Jesus' own submission to God the Father. In Philippians 2, 5-8, Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So think this way. Think the way of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus sets us this kind of all-time insane example of what submission looks like. Not just submitting to God in one way, but submitting to the point of death. He literally gave everything. He gave himself fully. And that is an example for you and I in terms of how we follow Jesus. We are submitting ourselves to the will of God in absolutely everything. Our faith is a faith of submission. Christianity is about submitting to the will of King Jesus and what he has called us to do. And as I was looking at this thing, And thinking about this reality, the challenge for all of us is we are called to submit to God, but all of us submit imperfectly. So I was um, reading this and researching this and preparing around this for the last two weeks. This has been fresh on my mind. And yesterday, while I was finishing my notes for today, I realized that probably during yesterday, in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions, and in my decisions, I didn't submit to God's will. I kind of did my own thing because I was tired or I was frustrated or I just wanted to do certain things. So I chose them. All of us imperfectly submit to God's will and break his will. So what is the hope for us in a sense? We're called to submit, but we mess up all of the time. I think the hope is that Jesus has perfectly submitted himself to God's will in our place. So for you and for I, when we mess up, when we go, I actually can't overcome this thing. I can't win in this area. We know Jesus already has. He's been tempted in every way, yet without sin. And for us, when we fail, when we mess up, when you, like me yesterday, in words and deeds and hearts and actions and all of these things, sin in some way, we have this hope that actually Jesus has lived a perfect life in our place. And he gives that to us so God can see us perfectly. Are you inside of him? So let's get on to the husbands for a second. Ephesians 5 is 25 to 33. It says, Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. We look at that first passage, and we respond in whatever way. But probably today we would see that, and we would say, Amen, husbands, love your wives. That's awesome. Back in the day, Paul's audience would have freaked out at that passage. And I want to highlight that because culture is always changing. What the culture around us values now will change in five years and in 10 years. And if you move to a different place, cultural values are always shifting and changing. But the word of God is unchanging. It's absolute. It's eternal. It's something that we can trust in. And I want to encourage you to wrestle with scriptures that maybe don't come naturally to you to see what is God saying and submit to them. Because actually, as much as our culture change, the word of God is a sure and steady foundation for us. Why did the men of Paul's day struggle with this? They struggled because they were very promiscuous. The Roman Empire allowed men to do all sorts of things sexually. They were cheating on their wives and they didn't struggle with it because they saw themselves as greater. Their wives were just a possession, something they owned, something they used. So they would sleep around, they would sleep with temple prostitutes, they would have girlfriends on the side, all of these things because their wife was worth nothing and because they were amazing. So when Paul comes around and he says, husbands, love your wives and lay down your lives for them. They're like, why would I do that? That's crazy. That isn't set. Why would I sacrifice for her? She's just like a possession, just something I own. This was a very, very challenging thing. And what Paul is saying to husbands here is that in our marriages, in the way we husband our wives, in the way we treat our wives, we're called to represent and reflect Jesus' own love, first to our spouses, but then to the world that is around us. That's what he's talking about here. And the love of Jesus is a sacrificial love. You know, It's the kind of love that gets down on hands and knees and washes feet. A king washing the feet of his servants. It's the kind of love that would lead someone to die on the cross when they've done nothing wrong in our place for our sins. That's the kind of love that Jesus has got for us. It's a sacrificial, servant-hearted kind of love. And that's what we're called to, too. And for us as husbands in this room, for those of us who maybe one day would be husbands or have a desire to be a husband, the loving leadership that Paul is calling us to is to lay down our lives and to love our wives sacrificially, and to serve them, and to not put ourselves first, and to do what is best for them. So to the husbands in the room, as much as, yes, Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, he's also saying, husbands, die to yourselves, and serve them, and love them, and put their needs above your own, and see that they flourish in your marriage. That's what we're called to as imitators of God, and that is hard work. I read this quote this week by a guy named Tony Merida in a commentary on Ephesians I was looking at, and it just it devastated me. He writes, Dying to self may involve sacrificing your schedule and even good ambitions. It means giving yourself away for the good of your bride. It involves crucifying your flesh and resolving to be faithful to your bride, not yielding to the temptations of lust, anger, and pride. Practically serving your wife when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, when you want to lie on the couch. Marriages are called to serve. Christ-like love takes initiative. Avoid being a passive husband. Actively love your wife.
husband and the wife are feeling great about themselves, and the wives are nudging their husband saying, you see, you see what the Bible says. I honestly think I failed at every single one of those things this week. I'm not saying that as like a preaching illustration. I honestly think I failed at each one of those things. I'm sure for some of the husbands here, maybe there's one or two that you think you failed at too. I think this passage has challenged me this week, and that quote has challenged me this week. It's almost been like the Holy Spirit has held up this mirror. Just, I think our marriage is good. I think I'm a decent husband. I think Shell thinks that too. But it's been like, as this mirror's been held up, it's like I've just seen laziness and selfishness and whatever, insecurities and pride and anger inside of myself, and I realize there are areas where I need to change. There are areas where I need to repent. And in my heart, I can't speak for all the husbands here, but as I read this, I think to myself, honestly, I would rather have Shell serve me than serve her. And I would rather she laid down her life for me than that I had to lay down my life for her. And I would rather she sacrificed her will and sacrificed her wants and her desires and that I could get all of the things that I want. That's inside of my heart. And Paul is saying, that's, that's not the way of the cross. That's the way of the couch that Tony Merritt is speaking about. There's the way of the couch and the way of the cross. And it's almost this challenge. Husbands, which way will you choose? Way of comfort and self-service and self-sacrifice? Or the way of Jesus and laying down your life for your wife, that she would flourish and do so well. I need to change. I need to live out of my new identity in Christ. And I need to be empowered and impacted by the gospel. And I need the Spirit of God to empower me to do these things. And I need to love her in that way because in so many ways I'm failing or at least falling short. And the idea of this passage is that your wife would flourish under your loving leadership and in your marriage that she would flourish. And I've um, been in elders meetings for quite a long time. I was in an elders meeting at Red Point years ago. I don't remember the situation. I don't remember the people. But I remember this moment, and I think I filed it away because it was shocking to me. The guys were talking about a woman in the church whose husband had passed away a few years before, a few months before. And they were saying, don't you think she's glowing? Don't you think she's just doing so well? Like, I've never seen her this well before. And it was this moment of myself thinking, that's terrible that in her marriage to this man, she was oppressed or like it made her life harder. Actually, like she couldn't flourish in that home. But now that he's gone, she's living her best life now, you know. And I left there just thinking as I read this passage, imagine in a few years' time, I pass away. And you come up to Shell and you say, Shell, I know it's been a few months now. How are you doing? And she's like, I'm okay. And you go, Shell, honestly, you look like you're doing so well. <laughs> you look so beautiful. You're glowing. I've never seen you happier. Are you, are you okay? And she just leans over and says, I feel awkward saying this. I, I love my husband. We had some good years together. But it's so much easier now that he's gone. Like, <laughs> that would be terrible. I would have failed as a husband if that's what she had to say. And what Paul is saying here is our wives should flourish married to us. They shouldn't hope and pray that maybe a day would come where we're out of the picture. They should love the privilege. Or, or privilege sounds terrible, sorry. They should love being married to us and should flourish. And wives, you should help your husbands to flourish in your marriages too. Let's get practical for a second. What is a good example of wives submitting to husbands and husbands lovingly leading their wives? I read this picture this week. It's um, a theology story, so please forgive me. It's just the world that I'm in. 
But Wayne Grudem, this world-renowned theologian, was absolutely excelling in his career. For 20 years, he taught at Trinity University in Chicago, and he was crushing it. Books were being published. People wanted to come to his lectures. People would sign up to go to that university because he was there. And it wasn't just like he was the draw card. Douglas Moo was there. D.A. Carson were there. There were a whole bunch of other world-class theologians, some of the greatest biblical minds on the planet, in this one place, studying together, teaching together, chatting together, learning from each other. It would be the dream place for any young theologian to go to learn and teach. This is, if you were like a, a young theology student, this is where you would hope one day to end up. And good old Wayne Grudem is there, crushing it in his career, having a really good time. The only thing is his wife was struggling with fibromyalgia, which is a sickness, I hope I've got this right, where there's pain in all sorts of muscle groups. And um, over time, she was struggling to walk upstairs. She was struggling to do even the most basic chores just because of the pain that she was in. And they tried everything. They prayed. They went to doctors. They did every little bit of medication they could, but there was, like, no success in any of that. And over time, she was just she was struggling more and more. And what made it worse is that Chicago's climate is so extreme, you know. It can be so cold, and then in summer, it can be so humid, and that really wasn't good for her. And what happened is, uh, in one holiday time, some of their friends invited them to go to Arizona and spend some time with them on their farm. And they went to this farm, and they had a really good time. And because of the kind of warm, different climate, Margaret all of a sudden was doing a lot better. She was able, for the first time in 12 years, to go on a bike ride with her husband. And they went and got to do that, and all of a sudden she had more ability than she had had before. And after a whole lot of thought, Wayne Grudem thought to himself, after pondering on Ephesians 5 and verse 28 that says to husbands that you should love your wife as your own body. He thought, well, if I'm going to love her like I love my own body, and this is a better place for her to live, then surely we must move here. It's obvious. Uh, He didn't know a single university or seminary in Arizona, so he started to flip through the yellow pages, and he came across Phoenix Seminary. Now, if you find it in the yellow pages and you haven't heard of it before when that is your field— you know this is not going to be a great university and a great job. So he calls them up. And this is like an all-star calling a very ordinary university. And he says, you guys got a job lying around for someone like me. And they snap him up. They say, Grudem, we want you. We'll do anything to get you. And he goes to his wife, Margaret, and he says, Margaret, I want us to move to Arizona. I found a job at Phoenix Seminary. This is going to be so much better for us and you. And she said, absolutely no ways. We're not moving there. See, he wanted to move there for her, but she didn't want to move there for him. She cared about his career. She cared about his life. She cared about his success. She knew that he was in his dream job and his dream situation, and she knew if they were to move, he would be losing out on all of that for her. She absolutely refused. So here we've got a husband wanting to move for his wife, and we've got a wife wanting to stay for her husband. Eventually, after wrestling around with this for a while, she said to him, okay, Wayne, I'm going to trust you to make the decision. So he decided, we're moving to Arizona. And I just love that picture of a husband who will lovingly lay down career ambitions and opportunities, humbles himself and moves to Phoenix Seminary because his wife's health is more important than those things. He loves his wife more than he loves himself, and he cares for his bride in the way that Jesus would. Paul's words here in Ephesians 5 are, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. And as we think about that, it's profound, because the word submit really means to give yourself up to somebody. And the word love really means to give yourself up to somebody. 
So when we submit to someone, we really lay down our will ahead of their will. And when we love someone, we really lay down our needs ahead of their needs. And we say, I will put your needs ahead of my own. And this is the way of Jesus, who submitted to God to the point of laying down his life in love for you and I on the cross. And if you haven't seen it yet, what Paul is getting to in Ephesians chapter 5 is that our marriage isn't just about ourselves. It's not just about romance and sex and nice date nights and companionship. It's part of that. That's all a part of the deal, and it's so good, and those are gifts from God. But what Paul is saying is that our marriages are a bigger picture. They're about us being billboards of the gospel of Jesus and his love for the church. Our marriages, the way husbands, we love our wives, the way wives, we love our husbands, should speak about the far greater love that God has got for each one of us and should speak about the cross and about Jesus laying down his life, submitting to the Father and dying in our place because of his love. And as we start to get that, what Paul is saying here, is people should almost look at the way you love your spouse and say, that's not what I'm used to. It's not what I've seen before. That's not what my parents did. That's not what our neighbors do. That's not what our friends do. Your love is different. It's unique. It's divine. It's supernatural. It's incredible. Tell me about this love. And it's an opportunity to speak about Jesus and what he's done for us. And for each of us here, I don't know where all of us are with the Lord, but really we can't give something that we haven't received ourselves. We can't give a love that we haven't received first from God. But as we receive that love from him and experience that love and are impacted by that love, we're able to give that love to others. As we experience the forgiveness of Jesus who died on the cross that our sins could be washed clean and forgiven, we are able to forgive our spouse or other people because actually no matter what they've done against us, we've done more and worse against God. As we see the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, how he laid down his life for us, we'll be able to sacrifice for our spouses and for others. We'll be able to lay down our lives for others because he's already laid down his life ultimately for us. And as we see his unconditional commitment to us because we fail him every day, we're flawed, we mess up all of the time, as we see how he is unconditionally committed to us no matter what, we will be able to unconditionally commit ourselves to our spouses for the rest of our lives, no matter what we might face and what we might be challenged by. Harbor City, this is maybe not the love or the marriage that the world out there speaks about, but it is the kind of gospel-centered, spirit-filled love and marriage that we can have if we're centered around Jesus. Can we stand? And we're going to go out just with a bit of prayer and a little bit of worship this morning. If you don't mind praying with me, i just love to ask you just to close your eyes. I just... I feel like God does want to speak to the singles, the couples, and maybe people who don't know God's love already. So if I could just pray for you. Um, If you're single in this room and you desire to get married, Lord, I just pray for those here that even now you would prepare them for marriage. You would prepare them for their partners. You would help them. You would form Christ in them that they can love and submit to one another in the way you've spoken about. I just pray for you to give people a spouse if it's something that they want and something you want for them pray for your kindness in that way and that we would never idolize marriage or worship marriage but we would really love you i pray for the marriages in this room for those who may be struggling a little bit maybe discouraged maybe a bit overwhelmed maybe there needs to be some repentance in some marriages today i pray lord change the hearts of husbands and wives towards each other even now i pray you would bring your healing i pray you'd bring transformation 
I pray you'd pour your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your sacrifice, your commitment into people's hearts to love one another in the way you've loved us. And I just pray for anyone in this room who feels like they haven't experienced your love. They haven't experienced that sacrifice you made on the cross. They don't know your forgiveness. I pray even now it would be like you would pour it out on them. If you need to receive that today, maybe you can reach out to God or maybe you can just ask Him for it. But respond to Him this morning. Be active in this. And I just pray, Lord, for forgiveness to come upon people, people to know your love, people to know your commitment, people to know how good you are. Would you lead us and help us, I pray, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come and lead us? Would you fill us? Would you change us? Would you empower us to live these kind of marriages, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.